welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is Sarah Hart Unger, and this is the podcast about planners, planning techniques, and really anything planning adjacent. At the end of this year, we spent a lot of time talking about goal setting, and I got some fantastic questions around those topics, as well as some fun questions about planner choices and sort of other planner slash bullet journal management techniques. So I'm super excited to answer those in today's episode, which is a Q&A episode. I also encourage you to keep the Q&As coming. They are part of what makes this podcast fun. I'm in the process of trying to figure out how I can start using voice recordings to share your voice asking the questions, because I think that would be even more fun than me reading them out loud. So stay tuned for that. I will either be using an app, there's one called SpeakPipe, or you could just email me a voice recording and we could do it old school. For those with any kind of an iPhone and probably Android too, though I'm not as familiar, you can just use the voice recorder app, record yourself asking something, and then just use the share button and email it along. And you can use my email address, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot heart, H-A-R-T dot unger, U-N-G-E-R at gmail.com and share those voice recordings with me even before I've gotten that speak pipe set up. So I'd love to hear them, send them my way, and maybe you can hear your voice on this podcast. All right, so today I'm going to be tackling, I believe it is six questions, one, two, three, four, five, six, yes. So let's get started. The first one comes from Jenny. Jenny says, hello, Sarah, I love the podcast. I have a planning question. I want to know how you decide what goes into an insert book to be moved between your bullet journals and what goes actually into the bullet journal. For example, quarterly, monthly, and weekly pages clearly go in the book itself, but what about annual plans? Does something have to be fully time independent to make it into the insert book? And then she writes, for reference, I use three bullet journals per year. And then she also mentioned she would love to know because she finds things to be uh, difficult to categorize sometimes in a gray area, like vacations or holiday plans, which makes sense because a lot of times, especially pre-pandemic times, we were thinking about vacations several months before they actually happen. And yet you'd probably want those plans to be accessible in the book that you're currently using. So. I think that little piece of information, Jenny, where you mentioned that you use three books per year is a really key piece in making this decision. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you want something referenced longer than that time window? And do you not feel it would be worth it to rewrite and prune that list every few months? If the answer to those questions is, yes, I want it referenced longer than that, and no, I don't feel like pruning would be of benefit, then it belongs in your accessory notebook so that it can be moved from book to book. I will note that the accessory notebook can be a physical notebook. Like I used to use kind of a really thin pamphlet that came with my Hobonichi, not pamphlet, but a little thin memo book that was tucked into the side and that worked really nicely. But another thing that you can do is actually have your accessory notebook be digital. I know that can be unpopular with some people that are really paper purists out there, but for things like vacation planning, it can be a lot easier because you can include things like links and, you know, copies of tickets and things like that. And then when the time rolls around closer to the trip, you can enjoy creating a physical layout with the information that you could actually look at while you're on said trip without having to pull out the digital. So I think that really those are the key questions to ask yourself. And don't be afraid of thinking about maybe having your insert book take different formats, depending on what it is that you're trying to track. All right. Question number two comes from Catherine. She writes, I listen to both Best of Both Worlds and Best Laid Plans. 
and I've really enjoyed reading your blog post throughout 2020 as all of our lives have changed during the pandemic. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's actually been very fun to write them as well. A couple of questions about planning that she wanted me to discuss on Best Laid Plans. I'm not actually going to mention two of her questions, but the first one is, you mentioned in a blog post this weekend that you are struggling a little with your goals for 2021, and I can relate to that. I often write monthly or yearly goals that feel quite small. For example, a book I want to read or admin that has to be done or a present I need to buy. It is stuff that needs to get done, but I don't seem to have the vision of what I want to aim for that I need to set goals that would get me further. Any advice on how to identify goals? I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to actually mention another question that I got that's very similar so I can kind of address both at once. This one comes from listener W and she writes, I have a question for one of your Q&A episodes. How do you choose and set goals? I feel like I must be missing a gene because when I ask, what do I want to achieve? My mind is blank. Sure, I'd like to be debt-free and lose 20 to 30 pounds, but who wouldn't? I'd like to catch up with my reading list, but it's so long, I can't possibly set myself a goal. I did this year start having read 10 articles and read 10 pages on my daily list, which I guess is goal setting, but it doesn't feel like what everybody else is doing to me. I appreciate any ideas you have. So these are sort of similar, and I think they're both asking, you know, how do you think of those big, more visionary goals and decide what belongs on your yearly list? I think that one thing that might be helpful, and that second person actually wrote in with some things that she actually said she sort of did want to do, but seemed a little too pie in the sky to her, and have a conversation with somebody that you are close to, whether that's a friend or a loved one. And just think about, you know, what you'd like your life to look like one year from now, or even five years from now. Kind of think like, if everything went well, and I did what I wanted to, what would it look like to move around in the world? You know, would I have made certain progress with my health? Or have I published a book or like, you know, changed careers or done something big? Like maybe the answer is no, I want things to be almost exactly the same as they are, in which case, great, you can set up more kind of habit maintenance goals, and that's fine. But if there are are things that you would like to do between here and there, then those are the things that you can focus on. I get a sense from the second person who wrote W, you know, she wrote, I want to lose 20 to 30 pounds, but who wouldn't? There's an air of like defeatism there, kind of like, I kind of want to do this, but you know, that's, I don't know, something unattainable or too cliche, but I don't know, maybe it's very important to the future of your vision to lose those pounds, or maybe it's not, and that's okay, but I think that deserves more reflection than just kind of a throw up your hands and say, who wouldn't? You also mentioned that you'd like to be debt-free and to catch up on your reading list. And I think those sound like amazing goals. So I don't know. I think the second person who wrote, I think she does have goals and give herself permission to think big. That doesn't mean that you have to achieve those in a one-year time frame. So perhaps for the health goal, you think more about process goals that might help you to lose that weight and maybe it won't, but that's okay. And for the debt goal, you think about what might be attainable in a year time frame. So in that person's case, I think it has to do more with giving herself permission to set what she really wants to do. In the first person's case, who just really didn't come up with anything large, I think that vision exercise could be really helpful. Perhaps she's not giving herself permission to think big, or maybe everything is going really well. And if that's the case, maybe thinking about the different categories or perhaps setting goals that are more focused on others or giving back to the community, maybe that's appropriate. You know, there's no one right answer on the types of goals anyone should have. And really, you don't have to force yourself to set goals if that's not something that you want to do. But most of us do benefit from 
moving forward, most of us get satisfaction in completing things that we set out for ourselves. And so thinking about what those things might be is something to definitely work on. So that's kind of what I'd say for both of those people. For the first one, focus more on vision. Maybe think about where you'd like to be. And for the second person, give yourself permission to maybe try some of those things that you named if those are things that you want to do but just seem sort of unattainable. Oh, and I had the idea for the first person that perhaps forcing yourself to just make one or two pie-in-the-sky dream goals would be healthy if that's something that you're not currently doing. Um, You don't have to put pressure on yourself. Tell yourself that these are just if everything goes incredibly well and if I was able to live out the best circumstances of the coming year, this is what I would love to do. Make those goals. It's okay if you don't achieve them. Don't let fear of not reaching your goals prevent you from setting them in the first place. Okay, question number three. I was diagnosed in the summer with a minor medical condition which doesn't affect me daily but flares up from time to time. It would really help if I could identify triggers or patterns in these flare-ups. I tried to keep note of food, medications, or symptoms for a while, but didn't keep it up once I returned to work after changes to COVID restrictions allowed it to reopen. Do you have any advice about how I could use my planner to create a habit which would help me? What should I record and how? I use a bullet journal and think I could incorporate what I need to record, but need some help to figure out how to do it effectively in a way I can sustain. I get so many ideas from your podcast about how to be intentional about my time and my life. Well, thank you so much to listener Kay for this question. So there's two ways that you could do it. Actually, there's many ways that you could do it, but two ways that come to the top of mind. There are planners that have an annual section, which could be very useful for recording symptoms. I think I've mentioned previously that I used the annual section in the beginning of the Hobonichi or used it to track illnesses in my family. There's like a little, I don't know, line that's about 10 grid squares wide for every single day of the year. And that is a very small space, but you can get a lot of bang for your buck within that space by doing some kind of color coding method. So perhaps you have a number of symptoms that you track. Maybe there's headaches and ickiness and joint pain and I don't know, whatever your symptoms are. Well, for each day, you could put a little color code on the bottom and then draw in a little dot corresponding to whatever color is those symptoms for each day. And that will definitely be able to show you patterns in terms of when things are occurring. Maybe you'll find out that things are monthly along with your hormones. Maybe you'll see that the winter is way worse than the summer. Now, when it comes to seeing if there are other like life circumstances, like things like stress or other events that correlate, if you have a big major flare, you may want to leave some space on this layout. And actually, Hobonichi has a lot of space on the bottom that can be used for this, where you just jot down little notes like terrible flare, but I don't know, car broke down and was under major stress that day or something like that. And I think if you have little notes on the major flares and little symptom trackers for every other day of the year, that's going to paint a pretty useful picture of patterns and maybe of triggers and maybe how different symptoms lead into other symptoms. And the color coding can make things kind of pretty and meditative as well as you create that. So think about doing that in a book that has a ready-made annual section. And The Wonderland has a similar section as well with kind of a space for each day. You could also create the exact same thing on your own on a blank piece of dot grid or graph paper where you just have a little space for each day and a color code dot for the symptoms that you're experiencing with a little space for notes. Of course, this could also be done digitally. I'm sure there's many apps, like, for example, a lot of the period apps, like I know Eve is a popular one, or Clue, where you can actually put in symptoms that you have and that the app will actually analyze it for you. So if you wanted to go digital, you also could. But I really enjoy doing that in the Hobonichi, and I think the annual layout format is a great way to do that. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Factor. 
Factor is sponsoring this episode with an awesome discount code, PLANS50, to give you 50% off your first month and 20% off the next. Trying out our sponsors helps keep the show going, and I think this is a wonderful time to give it a try, given that it's always a busy season. Factor offers no prep and no mess meals that are tailored to your wellness goals. They offer multiple options from protein plus to plant-based to keto and many more. No matter what your health goals are, you can keep kitchen time to a minimum while enjoying healthy and delicious meals with premium ingredients with Factor. You can get started feeling great and fueling well now by giving them a try. Head to factormeals.com plans50 and use code plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code plans50, P-L-A-N-S 50 at factormeals.com plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. You are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes in part from Jenny Kane. I love Jenny Kane and I hope you love shopping there to support the show. When you do, visit JennyKane.com and use code PLANS for 15% off your first order. Mother's Day is just around the corner and this is the perfect gift to treat all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Think minimalist and effortless, yet totally refined. This season, I am so into the beautiful dresses that Jenny Kane has on offer. My personal pick, and what I'm hoping to wear all season, is the Callan dress. I have it in the khaki color and feel like I could literally wear it to anything. And the best part is it's perfect for warm weather, which we have plenty of, but you could also layer it in a chilly, air-conditioned space. I also have my eye on the day dress. It's such a classic silhouette. One thing you might not know about Jenny Kane is that they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase and joining is completely free. Find your perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS, P-L-A-N-S, at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I, K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code PLANS. Get yourself and the women in your life the best gift of all, Jenny Kane. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, question number four from Lee. Lee writes, This seems like a silly question, and maybe you've already addressed it in a podcast I missed, but here's my dilemma. How do you fathom using pen in your pretty planners? What if something gets canceled? Doesn't it look messy if you have lots of crossouts? I can only stand to use pencil in mine for this reason, but then I feel like I'm missing out a little on using the smooth gel pens and all the fun colors. What's your secret to dealing mentally with edits making a mess on your pages? Well, everyone has their own tolerance for mess. I would say mine is fairly low, actually, so I don't use those gel pens either. I am left-handed. I will mention that one of my blog readers, who is a dedicated Hobonichi user, and I believe she has a Wonderland for next year, she pointed out that my obsession with things not smudging on these paper may be very much a left-handed issue. She uses fountain pens on these papers without much problem as a right-hander. But 
I tend to smudge because I am a left hand and drag my hand across the page and that the ink just can't handle that. And I have no tolerance for that. So I just don't use those pens. And maybe you have no tolerance for any mistake and you use pencil and that's okay too. Or maybe you consider using like friction pens or erasable pens so you can clean that up. The other thing you could do is find some kind of middle ground. So I don't mind having mistakes. If I write something wrong, I will just cross it out or put an arrow. I do it neatly. The other little secret that I do if there's a smudge or something I really want to cover up is I use a sticker and try to make a decorative statement out of it rather than having an ugly mistake on my page. You know, no one's checking my pages. I do share them every once in a while on Instagram, but most of them are always private. And yet it makes me feel better if I put a sticker to make things look prettier sometimes. And that's okay. So I think you need to address your own personal level of acceptance of mess and you do you. So if that means pencil and erasable pens, then that's okay. If you're willing to handle some mistakes, then you find neat ways of dealing with that mistake or you just embrace the mess. I know lots of people who are thrilled to have their kids draw on their planner. I am a mean parent, but I really don't want my kids to draw on my planner. I love to keep their drawings in other places, but my planner is for me and I just can't tolerate it. So there's no there's no one right level of mess acceptance. So I'm giving you permission to be okay with not wanting to make a mess. All right, question number five. Do you have tips for handling very large goals? Okay, so there's two different kinds of very large goals. There is large goals that are just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then eventually it's going to create that goal. And my example for that would be like, I remember when I studied for my medical boards, like the USMLE steps one and two, I did like jillions and jillions of review sessions and questions, but it was kind of doing the same thing every day, just different topics. For those kinds of goals, I think just kind of creating a realistic schedule helps. Finding some way to track your progress really helps and clearing out space for those efforts also helps because you can't do that kind of thing while you're doing, you know, a million other things. However, the complexity of tracking for those kinds of goals is really not that hard. So maybe that's not what you're thinking about. For things that are multi-step large goals, such as publish a book, and let's say you're just starting from scratch with that, I think it helps and it's not just me, but this is kind of common goal setting lore divide that goal into what it really is, which is a whole lot of kind of mini goals that are going to add up to one completed project. In my case, it really helps for me to flesh it all out in a document and turn it into a list format. Like this happens, has to happen, then this has to happen, then this has to happen. And I definitely do best setting deadlines for each of the sections, not just the big goal because I do tend to procrastinate if I don't have a deadline. If I do have a deadline, I tend to be very masterful about knowing, okay, I have to get it done by this and my life has a lot of constraints, so I'm going to have to do it XYZ time. So that may or may not be you, but I think it's not that uncommon. So thinking about how to break up that goal, really spending some time sketching out and breaking the goal into steps, I think think we tend to spend so little time planning sometimes with these big projects and really could benefit from doing so. So you may want to just put in your calendar like a two hour block of time where you're like sketch out a timeline and sub goals for XYZ project and actually sit there and really flesh it out. Decide if there are certain parts of it that, you know, depend more on other people's work. And you might want to think about what kinds of deadline you give the other people and give yourself deadlines for each piece. I also, as much as I love paper, I will mention that digital tools can be really helpful when they're doing this kind of brainstorming. I don't think it has to be anything fancy. could use Word, Excel, Trello, a notes document, whatever really fits your style. But when it comes to really writing out a lot and knowing that you may have pieces that you need to copy and paste and move around or share with others, you may want to think about doing that digitally. 
So those are my tips for handling very large goals. Oh, and I will mention that if you find it motivating to have a paper component of what you're doing digitally, I think that is awesome. So perhaps you have this whole digital Word document or Trello system or whatever you have, but then maybe you also have like a little progress tracker in your paper notebook that's very motivating to check off as you do different pieces of the goal. I have definitely done stuff like that. There's just something tactile and fun and checking off pieces on paper of something that you're accomplishing. So you can always have a paper tracker as an adjunct, even for goals that are really large. I also suggest that you look at the progress you've made in this big goal every week or whatever time frame you feel is appropriate. So you know the weekly review process that I mentioned previously, you might actually want to have as part of your weekly review, perhaps for a year or some defined time frame. Look at the progress on your big XYZ goal so that you don't kind of leave it behind. It just forces you to take stock of where you are and just having that built into your weekly review routine could be helpful. Finally, I will make a shout out to some of those kind of process methodologies like Kanban because some of those fit projects that have multiple moving parts. So you may want to think about some kind of bulletin board or visual way of seeing where each of the segment of your goals. I'd be interested in what goal you're asking about. So if you're listening to this and you sent me this question, let me know and maybe we can delve in even further. All right, last question for this episode is a fun one. Someone wrote, what would 11-year-old Sarah have wanted to use for a planner if she could choose one? And I'm assuming I get to choose from the 2021 and options and not the 1990 options or 1991 options that were available to 11-year-old Sarah. And she wrote, in the alternative, what planners are you looking at for Annabelle if you're going to get her one? They said their child has schoolwork and they've used school-issued planners in the past, but this year may be different because she may have more free time or at least more say in how she structures her school days. So as you guys know, or maybe this person didn't know, I did Annabelle has a Hobonichi cousin for next year. She's very excited about it. It has a Cookie Monster cover that is absolutely adorable. And she's already started prepping it, putting in birthdays and events, and she's so excited to use it. She almost has a countdown, like, I get to use my planner in three weeks or, or whatever we are in the month right now. So I'm super excited to see how that goes, but I'm also open to other options in the future for her, depending on whether she finds that it fits her needs. I don't think there's any one right planner. And I don't think that kids' planners have to be specifically targeted toward kids, especially when they're as old as like 11 and they can read and they can understand calendars and such. We did have Erin Condren kids planners for the kids the year before. I felt like it was more of an exercise in just playing with stickers and less of a planner. So I think the Hobonichi is going to be great. I also think that 11-year-old Sarah would have taken great pleasure in either a regular Erin Condren planner with all the beautiful colors or a plum paper planner, because there's a lot of customization that could be done to include different parts of schoolwork, just a lot of really fun covers and colors. So I actually feel like I may show Annabelle that suite of products, you know, as she's planning for the year after, depending on how the Hobonichi works out. But I think there's so many options available today that your 11-year-old is very lucky to have so many fun options to choose from. All right. Well, that was it for our Q&A episode. Keep the questions coming. I have a few more that I could use, but I am always looking for more. So send them to me on Instagram, send them via email. I feel like I've finally gotten my own question organization process going well. I keep them in Apple Notes. I did that from the start, but I wasn't very good about keeping track of which ones I had already answered. But now I kind of figured out a way I'm going to date them and take them off of my main questions list when I answer them in an episode. So there you go. Some behind the scenes at how I'm actually organizing. 
So we're nearing the end of the year here. And one thing I want to mention to everyone is that I do hope to eventually make this podcast try to sustain itself. Right now, it is a money losing proposition for me as I do have to pay for the episode processing and some other things. And so I am looking for some people that are looking for an audience of uh, approximately 3000 right now, very goal oriented, planner loving people to perhaps purchase some ads. So if you are thinking about some small scale ad campaigns that you feel like would be a great fit for this audience, please send me an email. I can give you some estimates. It should be an affordable way. If you are selling, for example, a digital product, I can imagine that I'd be able to get you some great reach just by describing what your offerings are and getting the word out for you. So if you're interested, please let me know. Just email me or send me a message on Instagram. As always, the show notes will be available to you at theshoebox.com. Just click on the Best Laid Plans page. And for anybody who is looking for templates for their planner for next year or ideas for different pages to put in a notebook to track things for the year, remember that that is a free download with anyone that subscribes to my email newsletter. So that is available to anyone as well. Happy end of 2020. Can't wait for next year. I think I'll be able to sneak in one more episode before the end, but we'll see what happens. Until then, enjoy planning and happy end of year goal setting to everyone else. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.